Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Judy Wilkinson, and I'm your host. I'm the owner and founder of Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, and I started the podcast off the back of the work we do in my company, Wilkinson Accounting Solutions. Uh, we specialize in M&A, and we realized there was a gap in the market of financial understanding across business owners, entrepreneurs, and investors. So we've had lots of guests. It's October 23. Um, I'm really excited because we got over 2,000 listeners in four months. So it's been really good this year, and we're looking to expand the show. But today I have Robert Rizier with me. Hi, Robert. Hello, everyone. Hey, Julie. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I asked. No, that's you're welcome. So I've asked Robert to come on the show because he, um, in 2020, launched a company called Racket Pal. It's in sports tech, helping expand um, people that play racket sports. And interestingly, he's had to go through a few number of rounds of funding. So across two years, raised about £2 million uh, successfully. And the last round was about a year ago. So he's now been trading a year with that funding. So we're going to talk a bit about why he went for the funding, uh, all, all pros and cons of things he went through to get the funding. And I think it'll be really useful for the listeners, um, startups or just people looking for funding through sort of angel or venture capitalists of what type of things to expect. So, Robert, Absolutely. first, I'm here. yeah. So, I'll hand over to you, Robert, and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yes, starting with myself and, and, and why we actually started Racket Pals. So, um, I played tennis uh, professionally when I was younger. I studied in the US, I played college tennis there. My, all my background being within the marketing and growth, paid acquisition, and, and paid media. Uh, so, I was before Racket Pal, that's what, that's what I was doing. I moved to London. I did my master degrees there and started working um, as well. And then, twenty nine, end of twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, I I wasn't playing tennis any, anymore because of injuries and because I realized I'm not going to be at Andy Andy's Murray and Andy Murray's level. <laughs> uh, but then I wanted to still play and and get back in in shape. And I just knew no one that I could play with that was my level. It was just complicated to find people based on their availabilities their level uh, their location i didn't know where to play and then i met luckily my co-founder who is also a squash and a badminton player he had the same issues he's the tech person i'm the marketing person and it's always good to have both sides in a company so we started off as a passion project as a part-time project we had both our full-time jobs we said why don't we do this part-time and it started growing without us doing so much in the beginning we Went to a few, to a few, we had a few thousand users while doing it part time. Someone suggested, guys, this has a big potential. We, we heard it a few times and then we really thought about maybe we give it a real shot, but for that, we need some money to survive and to move full time. And that's how it all started. But that's it in a, in a, in a nutshell. But that's interesting that you plan to know you need the money because you'd be surprised how many businesses are building that haven't really got that plan. So 
How did you, first of all, plan how much you thought you needed in terms of funds? Um, <laughs> well, we didn't. So actually we said, let's, we didn't know from the beginning that we needed money. So we said, let's move full time. We gave up our full time jobs. We moved full time as Racquetball. And we said, okay, together, myself and Bogdan, we have X amount of money. How long will that last us for and how can we make it longer? So we moved in together. I moved in at his place, actually. So we cut the costs and we lived together for like four or five months. So we really could give it our all, spend the money that we had and cut costs. And then we realized our <laughs> money is running out very soon. Money ran out. And then we said, okay, we really want to do this. We really believe in it. It was still growing while we were... While we, while I moved in with him and, um, and then we said, we, we need some money to survive. What do we need the money for? Where we need money for us to survive, pay ourselves the, the minimum salary in London that someone can eat <laughs> and live. And then we need help from like a part-time designer. We need help from a part-time developer and we need this to last for, well, 12, 14 months so that we don't need to go through the whole process. And that's how we came up with, um, it's the first figure that was, I think, about 150K in, in, in initial funding. So, and that was it. Ah, it's good that you did that, though. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever read any, any of Elon Musk's books or heard any of his podcasts that he talks on? Um, when he was start, well, I don't know how far he, I can't remember because I haven't read the full book yet, but I heard like snippets on his podcasts. And he moved in, um, he lived in a, like this, office space um and he was borrowing apparently he was borrowing money from friends to pay the rent at that time because all the money was going to spacex and a tesla so um you know all the good entrepreneurs do it so it sounds like so although you might not have had an official plan i think you probably planned a bit more than you thought because to actually do that and move in share you know apartments together and stuff to save money theoretically (laughs) you are planning you might not have had like a 10 page business plan but you know, you did have some some form of plans. So that was good. So survival. Needed, it's called survival. survival yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you then needed this 150k at the first round. So what did you do? Well, and then uh, we struggled because we knew nothing about raising money. It looked a lot like well, people would look like, look like, look, <laughs> look, look like begging in the beginning because there's also a process of raising this money, not just, Hey, give me money, please, please, please. And then uh, that's how I pretty much did it in the beginning with a lot of please and giving the money without, but I learned, but I'm a quick learner. I don't know things, but I'm a quick learner. It took us, it took us a long time. The first round, it took us seven months. Actually, we were, we were almost about to say, to put a stop to it but luckily because we there was just no more money left for us to, to, to survive on and we needed some jobs or at least some income coming in for any of us but luckily we, we managed to the question was how we managed to raise the first 150k right mm-hmm. um i literally luckily we found someone that has been through the process before worked on the vc side uh, and that was a bit, a few months after we, we, we tried doing it ourselves and we didn't have any success. He taught us the, the, the basics, the basics of, of fundraising that uh, you need a deck, like the, really the basics. You need a pitch deck. You need a blurb, an email with bullet points. You need to call read, call outreach. You need to understand the criteria and the investment criteria of either the people or the VCs, but it was too early for a VC. So some people only invest in XYZ. 
and reach out to those like don't just blast hundreds of millions to everybody. There's angel investments. You need to think of valuation. You need to have financial projections, like just the basics. We've done all of that. We've worked for a few months. We put fundraising in a stop. We work for a month at preparing, literally preparing with his help. And that is when we went much more prepared into meetings and into, I started going to the face-to-face events, to the social events. I started reaching out on LinkedIn. I started cold calling people, cold emailing. And um, I realized at that point, which it was an important realization that it's, it's a numbers game out of considering a 5% conversion rate of people answering an email, then how many of them actually invest. If you reach a hundred people, 10 of them, let's say, answer your emails. Out of them, two of them take a second call and maybe you are lucky and one of them invests. So, and if you apply this conversion rates and each step, then you realize it is a numbers game. You know, you need to reach a thousand people, maybe to have one or two or three investors in the beginning when you have nothing, when you barely have any traction, when it's just your word and you are very little traction and product and MVP against against money. So, um, but... But yeah, we managed to find someone that has been with us throughout the journey, an incredible initial angel who has invested in in all the rounds after that from the Czech Republic, who is a tennis player. So you need to also understand, okay, well, you you try to speak and reach out to people who are interested in the space, who are, well, (laughs) who love the space. It will will get you further. And, um, but yeah, so that was it. That was it in a nutshell, the, the first money. And then after that, we managed to grow. We raised two, two additional rounds, totaling <clears throat> 2 million, a bit, I think over 2 million up until today. Did you get, when you were cold calling, trying to find, I mean, did you get a lot of backlash from that? The people that are just hanging up on you and was it interested? Of did course. You? Yeah. Of course. Uh, but uh, I, I, I never had, I'm, I'm the extrovert between myself and my co-founders. So I never had... The issue of uh, the fear of rejection uh, and the fear of just being just people hanging up the phone. I just knew that the next person I call, call the next person I reach out to, the next person I email could change my life, could change. Uh, we can get investment from that person. So with this mentality, I have no issues getting a thousand no's. If I know the a thousand one person I'm going to reach is going to say yes, I have no issue going through a thousand no's before every single no is a learning process every single no i get i ask myself well maybe i used the wrong wording maybe that didn't make sense maybe i was too pushy so i'm trying to to improve every single email every single call call every single pitch i did i was trying to improve get feedback retrospectively improve try new things so it was a learning process and i think everybody needs to go through thousands of no's to actually to actually raise funds or do something. I'm really excited to announce that we have found our first collaboration. So Robert, who is a co-founder of RacketPal, has kindly offered our guests and listeners their own discount code specifically for his company, RacketPal. The reason I resonated and decided to collaborate with Racket Power is partly Robert's story. I always think the best businesses are built from a passion of love. And ultimately, Robert used to be a professional, semi-professional tennis player. When he moved to London, he couldn't find uh, people that he could play with or where to play the sport that he loved. And from there, he's built this amazing community that's now allowing other racket players to be able to find the right level and play the sport that they love and enjoy the most. 
So I'm really proud and grateful that he's offered our listeners their own 50% discount code. So you can download RacketPal from um, app stores. And when you register, it will ask you for a discount code. So you can add in WilkPal, which is W-I-L-K-P-A-L. From there, you get 50% off your annual subscription. And within the annual subscription, there's lots that you receive for that subscription. You can book coaching sessions. You have unlimited chat access. And you can find other players um, and matches that suit your level, age, location, etc. So I am so grateful that um, we've decided to keep this collaboration set up. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, I mean, that's a real inspirational message because I think you'd be surprised how many people would potentially give up on the first few no's. My favourite quote ever, and I always say this, I watched Diary, I watched Diary of a CEO and Davina McCall went on, and um, I love Davina, and her quote was, whenever she gets a no, she doesn't see it as a no, she just sees it as a not now. <laughs> I love that quote. Um, <laughs> yeah, I so watched that's that really too, good. the Diary of a CEO as well. It's good. Yeah. Um, but this is good because, you know, it's really important for you to understand that things don't just fall into people's lap. In the end, people make things happen. And, you know, this is why I wanted you to come on the show, because I think it's important for people to look at, you know, yes, it's great. You've got the funding. You're probably you're now on that journey to grow in the business, but you didn't always start that way. So, um, so you, and now you get in there. So. So you did the first it's round. Not a, it's not a success in itself. Funding, it doesn't mean success. That is no. something that it, it means the work just starts now. You know, it was yeah. incredibly hard and people just, I feel they, they, uh, they're they happy that they have a beer. Oh, I, we raised investment, but no, it's actually, I needed this money to make for the work to start, for the real work to start. For now that you know what you've learned from these rounds funded, if you were starting something new so you were the person going into the investment round in the first place what would you have changed at the beginning not for you necessarily because obviously i know you don't have a regret necessarily of what you've done but i'm saying if somebody else was going to start your journey what would you recommend they have in place to start a funding round there's a few things i would do different from a funding perspective there's a few things for sure i would do things uh, different from a business perspective because they found your business so if I were to go back, because every, in every single funding round, I learned a lot about my business and how we should do things and what to look for and what are the KPIs. And every single funding round, I, I, it was dreadful, but it has taught me a lot of things, a lot of things. We would not be here if not for those investor discussions that said no, that said, think about this. I don't think it's, it's a good idea. So in, in the first place, I would see it as a full-time job fundraising is, is at least one founder's full-time job if not one full-time job and a half because bogdan also started doing the moment we realized how hard it, it could be and it was uh he, he started joining me as well um so treat it as a full-time job and um add two three more months to your expected <laughs> close date because nothing ever goes as planned and even if you have all the 10 people lined up that want to invest and they say, yes, yes, I'm going to write a check for you tomorrow. There comes the legal stuff. There comes the legal negotiations. There comes term sheets and all it, all it implies. I had to learn a completely new language when it comes to, uh, when it comes to 
raising a uh, a price round, like a, pro a valuation round, uh, because there's liquidation preference and preference shares, and there's just a lot. Uh, so um, before starting out, read there's a book I had that I don't remember the name of it, but it was short. Um, how to raise a funding round. It was it's a small red book. I am going to remember and say it. But you can read online, anybody can read online terms that everybody should know when raising a fund. What are the things that need to happen to raise a fund? How to create a deck? At least spend one month preparing a deck, the financials, the data room. And just rehearse, rehearse things before you go out in a meeting. You will change things in the, when you get feedback, but rehearse them, practice them and fa familiarize yourself with with the nuances of, of engine investing, of what is a valuation round, what is a safe, what is the exit strategy. People will ask you this, even if it happens in 10 years, people will still ask you. <laughs> and you need to have an answer. Unfortunately, you need to have an answer for everything they ask, investors ask. Um, so treat it as a full-time job, be prepared and then read things before and, and <laughs> try to get on your side someone that has done it before, either on the founder side or on the VC side. So get yourself a, um, you can call it an advisor or a fundraising, someone that has just done it, that can be with you maybe just one, two hours a week in the beginning can give you a few tips and tricks. It, it saves a lot of time and, and, and pain. Um, like these are the main three, but before that, you know, we, we didn't have any paying users when we first raised our first funding round and there was a lot, a lot of questions on revenue model and why we don't make money and how do we plan to so maybe start or at least testing a revenue model before that so you have some initial <laughs> some initial data to go into 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 the discussions with you will not have a t ten thousand paying users in, in the beginning when we when you just launched but at least you have five ten twenty something some initial paying traction because we were having five thousand users but they were all free users and we didn't know if people would convert into paying users. So there are a few business decisions and business things that I would do differently before starting fundraise, not just funding specific yeah. things that I would do differently. I understand. So when you, I'm interested to know, so when you built the financials for the funding you need, did you price in salaries for like you and the owner? Was that priced in? Because that's quite yes, a big topic. Yeah. So you did, yeah, because it's quite a big topic because... Some I see some posts from VCs saying that maybe founders shouldn't take salaries. I mean, I think if you're going to work in somewhere, you've got to obviously pay yourself, and it's the realistic commercials for that for that job. So you priced in your own salaries yes. into that funding. Yes, we did, and luckily, luckily, we found people that told us that if we don't pay ourselves, they are not going to invest in us because then they will invest in two people that are worrying more about what they're going to eat tomorrow than about starting a, than about running the business and growing it. So luckily we've met investors that understood that we're not going to pay ourselves a hundred grand. We're going to pay ourselves. And it was in the initial financials in the first round that the bare minimum, you know, like we paid ourselves the minimum, but we did because, well, somehow we needed to survive and not, you know, be hospitalized. <laughs> of malnutrition or whatever so yeah. uh so it, it is a big topic i actually do not understand why it is such a big topic because we've put all of we've put all of our save savings like 
the level of determination was seen of where we were at that point. We're living together. We cut costs as much as possible. We put all our savings and time into it for, I don't know how long before we raised, at least nine months before we raised our first round. So there was no one that could tell us how committed are these guys. Yeah. Right. So then everybody knew that we need to also live and pay ourselves. And you, someone cannot grow a company if they are not healthy if they are right. not paying themselves. And I, so I really don't understand why this is such a big topic of, of, of discussion when, when founders need to be healthy, they need to live somehow, but also not, well, I understand a bit why it is a big topic because maybe some founders pay themselves in the first year, 200K, you know, so yeah. that is not fair for the investor, but there needs to be a balance and there needs to be respect and well, yeah. So now you've got the funding. How often do you have to report the financials to your investors? We don't really. Well, th- things evolve. So we've been we've been through three rounds right now, and, and and the last one was actually a VC combined with a few angels. We don't actually report financials themselves. We have a data room that we fill it up, a data room. Or, uh, Excel with the financials that we fill it in at the end of every month so that because we had some projections and they want to see how we are doing from a burn rate, run rate perspective against those projections. So we keep it. We have a, an Excel where they, everybody can see any single day uh, and they are always updated every single month how we are doing in terms of run rate, in terms of burn, how many months we have left and everything. So so that we don't report, we just made this. It's always updated and people can see their any single time we do have other reports that you know evolution reports that we currently do and uh, how the business is growing and kpis reports and i'm writing out the text so we do that i do that every two months so bi-monthly i give an i i update all the shareholders today with evolution and with progress and what has worked well lowlights highlights what we need to improve on what are the next steps uh, and i always put a link to the financials people can see but yeah. Okay. So you're reporting that every couple of months. Yes, every yeah. by by monthly. Yeah. Okay. And was that at request of the shareholder, like the investors, or was that just something you're choosing to do? Did they request that you send them updated? They wanted me to send them. They wanted us to send them quarterly. I think quarterly. It was a. It was a. An easy discussion because they didn't need to request anything because I want to keep them up to date. So they didn't actually need to tell me, Robert, we would like to see from day one. I said, guys, you're gonna, you're going to read it. You're not going to read it. I, it's up to you. I am going to send these to you. And uh, so that at the end of the year, no one says that they couldn't see the evolution. I didn't keep them up to date, but it's also a way for me to keep an open line of communication to them and ask for things and ask for feedback and ask for their ideas. You know, you'd rather keep your investors involved, even if it's just a little bit through bi-monthly calls and then so that you always have that line of communication open with them and honest communication, then them not hearing from you for half a year, a year, things go bad and it's going to cause issues. So I'm the person that actually shares things with them. Yeah. Honest okay. and uh, good and bad things. So. And good and not so good things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
you talked about an exit plan. So do you have an exit route for the business? Is that something you're setting up? Neither we are not setting up at the beginning an exit. We've got so much more to we've got so much, so much more to grow before we actually probably think of an exit. But there is a natural there are a few natural exit solutions, which the main one I think it's it's an exit in terms of a sellout to to someone that is strategic in our industry, you know, you could, you could think about manufacturers, you could think of fitness apps and the big ones and uh, sorts of Strava, or um, it could be to a PE, a private equity firm at, at a certain point. But I do believe still that we are quite far away from an, from a, from an exit point. I mean, we are, we've just reached, we've surpassed a hundred thousand users and that is mainly in london but it's still you know i mean it's still one city out of this whole world we are looking to grow to the entirety of the uk we are looking at the b2b model which actually proves the most valuable and 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 a lot of potential in the b2b to see but especially the b2b where we are right now offering the solution to clubs to venues to councils uh, for their own members for their own players so uh, there's still a lot of work to be done for us to for us to grow and then to think of an exit. But yes, it is in my back mind. Yeah, because we've got some guests coming on in the future about exits because one of the things, when people say exit, everyone just automatically thinks full exit. But actually, a lot of things we talk about is partial exit. So some people go, so it sounds like you're quite owner-operated at the minute where you and your um, partner are doing quite a lot of work in the business. The first stage exit for people would be but the first stage exit would be how can I get support to replace some of my role if you want to, and not everybody wants to, but that's the first stage yeah. exit. The first, it doesn't always have to be a thought. The first stage would be how can somebody else replace some of my role, which might be you know a CFO or more of a finance team doing some of the KPIs and financial reporting. It could be a marketing team helping you do the marketing. You know, it could be you know some, you've probably got some tech, but that would be the first stage. So that people start transitioning from being an owner operator more into like a C-suite, I suppose more of a silent director themselves, silent investor themselves. That that's first exit, and then long term exit because ultimately in the end, if you build a job, if you build a business where as owners and founders you don't run it anymore, then it comes a time where people start to think, well, actually, do I need a full exit? Because why would you sell something in full that's making money if you don't have to run it? So yes. yeah, I yeah. think. That's one of the things. Is a, but you need to, to you need to be at a good point, yeah, to be yeah. able to just leave it and then take your hands off. I mean, we we do have a team of fifteen people right now, and marketing. We have someone taking care of marketing. We have yeah, the, the dev team and the tech team is the biggest. We have someone on, on data analyst. So there are things that we don't need to do anymore. We have a head of product, you know, and uh, but there's still like I'm doing sales currently, you know, and Bogdan is. So there's always something at the moment that I need to be operationally involved in because it's still we're still a startup yeah and i still need to do things myself and as much as i get help from the others and could they cover some aspects of it yeah okay so what's the future for racket pal then i mean what are you going on any more funding rounds or most likely most likely because uh well well, I I want to tie it in with, with a few recommendations and then I can I can tell you a bit more about um about the future of us. So yeah. a, a few things that I that people need to that I wish I wouldn't 
I would have known before I started fundraising. So the moment you raise your first round, <laughs> you are most likely bound to raise future ones and you will be dependent on external capital for a long time. Uh, it is it is just a different journey than, than bootstrapping, but um, that is the first thing someone needs to remember that you will always need external capital to grow, always. You will need a few more rounds of external capital. So the pain doesn't just stop at the first funding round, it continues with the next ones. Uh, so that is the first thing. Um, the second one is y- you are married to those investors for quite a few years. Uh, and and, and <laughs> married is a weak word. It's probably sometimes more than marriage. Uh, but if there's just something, something that just doesn't feel right when someone offers you that money, when an investor, but the other way around as an investor to a founder, but obviously I'm speaking from a founder perspective, just don't take the money. It's not worth the 100k, although it sounds a lot and it could save your life. If that 100k comes with someone that is, that is just not right in the head or whatever it is, it's just not right. It's not worth it. You'll, you'll hate your life and you can get into legal problems. And so don't get money just from anybody. Um, so that is like a second recommendation. Uh, and the third one, see it as a learning experience and not as a, I need to get this money because if you, it can build up frustration that you did three months, four months, five months went over and you didn't get the money in. Uh, it, it, and believe me, it can build up a lot of frustration and the pressure is quite big. But if you start seeing it as I need this money, but I'm also in a learning process because every single funding round, you need to do research. You need to think about the projected revenues, which is again, a lot of research. You need to build about the hiring plan, a product roadmap, a tech roadmap, etc. If you see this whole process as this plan, this six months is going to make my business so much stronger. And it is also going to help me with the raising funding round. Uh, you will hopefully maybe you will start enjoying the process a bit more. It's it's a small thing to enjoy it, but at least uh, you will not be putting so, so much pressure on yourself. And I, it took me two funding rounds to learn at the third one that, wait a second, it's a revamp of my process. It's a small pivot. It's learning those discussions. Every single discussion with these investors, you are talking to people that have a huge amount of experience, much more than I had. And they've seen so many businesses. They've worked with some of the smartest and best people in the world. The questions that they ask, it's, it's, it's a learning process. It's, it's, wait a second. He asked me this question. Let me look into it. I used to stay after investor calls and look into things and think about them and, and change a bit my deck, my approach. It's a huge learning process to speak with these people that you wouldn't actually speak to normally, uh, with the likes of, you know, big VC, big angels money with people with millions. So these are the the three things. And obviously the fourth, please look at it as a full-time job. It is a full-time job. It is absolutely someone's full-time job fundraising. Yeah. So you've, they're your recommendations, which are really good. I think I can relate to all of them from people I see getting investment. So, um, as we're coming towards the end of the podcast, I mean, what are you, what is plans for racket pals specifically now? Yes. Um, so we still, luckily when we raised a year ago, so we had, we planned for a run rate of 18 months. So I don't need to go again through six months after six months since I finished. So uh, we we do plan still. We've just did a small pivot and are looking to grow a bit into the B two B side, which is 
tennis clubs, squash clubs, the venues, the councils uh, that own tennis courts and whatnot. So we have a solution that helps people play more racket sports, be more active by meeting people, then playing in leagues, leaderboards, tracking their scores. And so we have a solution that if people play more, it means there are more courts being booked. This means more revenue. So we can offer our solution to clubs, again, to root councils for their players and their members to use, to communicate, to chat. So we've noticed and we've had quite some success over the past months with the trials we've run. And it's going to, to look like the focus will be the B2B to C because there's also, also the users that come on the app. Uh, but this is expanding that in the UK. The pilots were successful. Now we're going to focus on expanding that. In the UK, we have some discussions with clubs in the US actually as well, because why not? It's very similar, uh, the market. So this is, will be the full focus. We will most likely need another funding round in seven, seven, eight months. So seven, eight, yeah, I think almost nine months from now. But that also depends on how the B2B goes. And I couldn't give you more details currently because I don't have them. And I'm focusing on the sales on the B2B. Uh, but <laughs> we had funding rounds. Again, we are, you are bound to more funding rounds in the future. Um, and then that's, that's about it. Not really growing the team anymore. We've got everybody we need. We have an amazing team. So... So, so yeah. watch out, watch out, funders, because you'll be coming <laughs> coming around to them in a few months. Well, anyway, thanks so much, Robert, <laughs> for coming on. It's been really interesting to hear. I think this was definitely a worthwhile episode because there's a lot you've talked about there about resilience and working about like mindset in terms of investment. So I think that's really important. So thanks so much for coming and on. White hair and a bit of more white hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you know tenacity. So, but um, thanks to all our listeners on the Build Next no thank you and thanks to all our listeners on the build and exit podcast uh i'm really pleased to have you all listening if you have any episode topics feel free to drop us a message and please do subscribe or rate and review on apple or spotify and i look forward to seeing you soon so once again thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast i hope you found it useful if you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast then please share it with them either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a facebook group or other social media channel don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them so i'm really looking forward to seeing you next time we've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon 